Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 105. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory is his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Are all are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gather here in your presence because we long for your goodness and love. The love that sent forth the word by which the heavens were made, the love that looked upon creation and declared it good. Lord, we confess that we need to rest in your presence, that we long to see the goodness of your creation. This morning, we ask that you make your goodness known to our neighbors that long for joy, that seems to elude them even in the midst of abundance. We also pray for our neighbors who go hungry and lack shelter, who are excluded from this abundance. Father, we look upon the rulers of this world who yield their power with impunity and do not consider the suffering of the weak and humble. This morning, we pray for the multitudes of people all over this earth who suffer from the whims and vanity of the powers that promise life, but so death. Father, this morning, we also ask that you remember those among us that suffer under the weight of disease and injury. We pray that you bind up those of us who are ill and bring healing to our wounded bodies and our tender spirits. Lord, we especially ask for your presence um, to be with Robin and the Feuder family as they continue to mourn the loss of Robin's father. We ask that you grant them comfort and peace. Father, we wait in, the hope, in hope upon you, Lord. You are our help and our shield, and you our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Children are dismissed for children's worship. We will now continue uh, with the time of confession. We will first do so corporately through word um, and then through song and then have a moment for silent personal confession. This is what God told his people. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You shall not steal. Lord, we thank you for your good word. Trusting in your provision, we are called to be honest and generous in our relationships. We confess instead of trusting your provision, we take more than our share or that which does not belong to us. Lord, in your generous grace, Forgive us for greed and dishonesty.
please take a moment for a silent personal confession. Father, we thank you that through the grace of your Son, we can be honest with you about our struggles and failures, the things we have done and the things we have failed to do, and that you are faithful not only to forgive us, but to welcome us and to restore us to life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. Trust in the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Just as we have been welcomed by the Lord, um, our Savior, let us welcome one another. i 
The New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 16. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circum circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers to their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. The gospel reading is uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. It's good to have a chance to look at God's Word with you, and uh, thank you, Burke, for uh, reading from God's Word for us. Um, we are looking at a false sermon series of this, uh, the promises of God that we are known and loved, that these are promises at the heart of the gospel of Christ. And so we're going to read from Genesis 37 in just a moment. Uh, uh, we've been looking at passages from Genesis to kind of see the human story and, and then talk about how God's story is different, how God's story speaks into that story. So we're going to look at the story of Joseph. Joseph takes up the last uh, chapters of Genesis, um, 14 chapters, and we'll just look at the first one to see the relationship between he and his brothers. But before, before we read that, though, just as a reminder, we have been looking at these kind of human stories and seeing these, these truths about what it means to be human, to be made by God, that we were made to be seen and made to be known, that all of us made to live in connection, connection with God, with ourselves, with, with others, with creation, and that all of us, we all long to be seen and loved, to be tr able to trust and to receive help from those who see us. But in our guilt and shame, all of us, as part of being human, all of us have in some way exchanged that hope of being seen, the hope of being welcomed and known. We've exchanged it to, to hide, to put forth an appearance, to play a part. And so today we're looking at Joseph and his brothers. These are the sons of Jacob, who was given the name Israel by God. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes, the 12 families of Israel, that through them, in particular through Joseph, God carries forth the promise that he made to Abraham. But as we'll see in our passage, this family is marked by favoritism, jealousy, and hatred. The word brother occurs 21 times in the chapter, but the relationship is described or it's connected to the ideas of hate and of envy and jealousy to the extent where we read in just a moment that the brothers could not even really speak to Joseph. There was such anger, they could not speak a kind or peaceful word to him. And eventually this murderous envy leads them to remove him from the family. Hate and fear are all over the place in our world. We know this. And this dynamic happens in personal relationships. It happens between people groups. But our passage, it zooms into an intimate view of a family. And it asks these questions, especially for Joseph. Can I be forgotten? Will I be forgotten? In the place of connection, will I simply be rejected? Or can the promise or the hope that there's something more be stopped by others or how they treat me or how they see me? So with those questions in mind, let's read our passage. This is Genesis 37. It's a long reading, uh, but I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or your order of worship. Uh, this is the story of Joseph and his brothers. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad, a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's Jacob's new name, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, I hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. The brothers saw Joseph from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll, see that a f we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit? Is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brother and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Then they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. He identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is God's word given for our good. Well, this is a long and complicated story, but I, my hope is that we can look at it and, and see even maybe a part of our own story, and God's story is part of it. And so we're going to look at two, two parts of this as we make our way through and reflect on it. The first thing is that we'll look at the family tensions, and then we can look at what we can call the power of the dream. The power of the dream. So the family tensions. I saw in the news recently that according to a study at University of Washington, that crows, you know, blackbirds, crows, can and do hold grudges. 
Do you guys know that? They hold grudges. The report says that they, they not only hold the grudge, but they tell all the other crows about it so that everybody is upset with the person. So the, the report goes on to say that, so if at one point they see you as a threat, that even up to maybe five years, they will remember you and maybe respond with screeches or dive bombs towards you. And grudges seems kind of like a judgmental word to me. Like, I mean, it sounds like maybe they're just good at recognizing danger, but, uh, but they're, they're told that crows can and do hold grudges. That was the headline. And we can think about maybe, you know, our own experience, not just with crows, but our own. The word, that, the word that stood out to me in that is that they hold them, right? If you think about that, we hold a grudge. Maybe what's that like in your life? Maybe you've known that, something that you hold fiercely about how you view another person. Or maybe, maybe you, the recipient, that you long for someone to put it down, the way that you've treated them or how they view you. Crows aren't the only ones that hold things. And we're invited into this passage right away by seeing the main characters, Joseph, Father Jacob, Joseph's brothers, that they hold things deeply. And the way that, to understand what's happening there is to think about a triangle, a triangle really of love and of hate. And it's one that we might not right away think about, but probably all of us in some manner can relate to that we're part of a triangle of a similar part, maybe in some story of our life, whether one is one of receiving favor, like Joseph, or it's one showing favoritism or partiality in our affections, like the father Jacob, or maybe it's when we are felt overlooked, unloved, or forgotten, like the brothers. And such a triangle always, always produces anger jealousy, deception, and hiding. And we see this particular triangle is revealed in four different things in our passage. The, the triangle kind of takes shape, and we, we get a sense of it through four different things. Joseph telling on his brothers. Jacob, the father, bestowing this royal robe on Joseph. Joseph declaring his dreams. And finally, the brothers deciding that they will kill Joseph. Let's get rid of this dreamer. And so first, Joseph gives a bad report about some of his brothers. We see that while Joseph is the lead character, he is not perfect. We're told he's 17, and he's sent out with four of his brothers to work in the field. And, and what is the outcome? He brings home a bad report. This is not hard for us to imagine, right? <laughs> he goes, and he's supposed to work with his brothers, but he comes back, and the language here is that he kind of gave a slanted update to make his brothers look bad. And what happens next? The second thing and that, that reveals the triangle is that Jacob gives Joseph a special gift. Think about this. The young Joseph is working under his brothers. He comes home to give a bad report of them. And what is, happens then? He's rewarded by the father with a unique gift that sets him apart as a special one. He gives Joseph a special robe because the passage says he loved him more than all of his brothers. This coat of many colors was likely some kind of ancient, like, long robe that had sleeves of different colors. It was a robe that spoke about being royal or being especially set apart. And we can think about Jacob's story, the father's story. He grew up in a house 
where his mother preferred him and his father preferred his brother Esau. And in sadness, we see that Jacob carries on these same practices, the same brokenness into his own family. And this favoritism provokes the other sons to hate Joseph. The third part of the triangle that we see is being revealed is that Joseph declares his dreams. The substance of this dream is captured in two actions, one who is raised up to rule and others that bow down. God gives this dream, and it is a story of how God will use the youngest one to bring forth the promise to save the family. But we already can see, imagine how it fuels into the the situation. Jacob already knows that his brothers do not like him. And now the dreams cause them to hate him even more. I, I picture this, I don't know how you picture it, but I picture it around maybe like a family meal, some, some roasted goat maybe. And Joseph's like, hey, you know, I, I have something to share. You know, some really interesting things happened. I had this dream and you wouldn't believe it, but you're going to bow down and I'm going to rule over you. You know, interesting, isn't it? You know, what do you, what do you think about that? I'm just telling you what happened. You know, don't get mad at me. The fourth thing that helps reveal this triangle is the brothers see Joseph coming. And what did they say to one another? Here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. He's no longer our brother, but he's the dreamer. And the brothers are united in their hate and so they strip the dreamer of his robe and throw him into a deep cistern pit. And in the end, after much negotiating and different plans, Joseph is sold into slavery to a caravan of merchants heading to Egypt for 20 pieces of silver. We're invited to try to picture or to even feel this triangle of jealousy and of love and hate. Later in Genesis, as the story goes on, the brothers eventually confess to what they've done, and they say, we saw Joseph's soul in its distress. We saw it. We, we, he begged us, but we did not listen to him. Can you imagine that scene, right? His brothers do not listen. Even as he begs them, even as he's thrown violently into a pit, as he's trapped and then when his brothers pull him out, it's not to rescue him. It's not to say, okay, everything's okay. But it's to sell him, to cast him out of the family. And Joseph must be wondering, God, my brothers are not listening, but do you see me? Do you even hear me? In order to cover their actions, the brothers tear the special robe they dip it in goat blood and present it to their father to suggest that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. And this robe that began in deep love is torn in deep hate and becomes the main tool of a deep deception. Think about this. Deception requires constant attention, constant hiding. Every day, the brothers see the sorrow and the mourning of their father. And every day, they choose again to keep the secret. To keep the secret of what they've done, that he might even be alive, 
Every day they pretend to play a part and hope that all the other brothers will do the same. It's in light of this deception that the passage ends with grief and mourning. No comfort will be given. And it asks us, is this the end of the story? Will Joseph be forgotten? Or maybe in a broader sense, does such things as favoritism or rage or deception, do they determine the future? Do they have power to stop what God was doing in the story? The family tensions are strong and they're deep. But the second part of our sermon, that the power of the dream points to the fact that there is another power at work, that there is another story going on as well. And this is important for us that when we identify with this triangle or maybe identify with the story, to be reminded that there is another story as well, the story of God. I recently saw an ad for a cell phone, I guess it's called a mobile phone these days, uh, highlighting all the AI photo editing tools that come as part of this phone. Maybe you guys have seen this. With a few taps, you can move people around in the frame. You can use the magic eraser to get rid of certain people or photo bombers, it says. Or you can use best take, which features, a, you know, takes a bunch of pictures at once, then automatically takes, you know, the best face of, you know, the face of each person in the photo and combines them to give the perfect picture. Perfect photos, right? But it makes the question ask, is the end result real? Did it ever actually happen? <laughs> Does the first final image relate to what I experienced? How will it edit our memory of the moment? And such tools will become standard, right? And they'll dramatically make it easier for us to have perfect photos and to make small edits to kind of our life or to the experiences that we might have had. But I mentioned that is just even to think about the power of memory, the power of wanting to, to make edits. And to ask again, what are we holding? What grudges are we holding or what things do we wish other people would set down? There's a difference between small edits to a photo and the longing for things to be different and large and ongoing brokenness within us or our families. Right, not to be flippant, but we could ask, where's the magic eraser for favoritism of a parent? Where is the best photo for the pain of being neglected or of having siblings look down upon you or even despise you or wanting you to fail? You and I know that we need something powerful to walk through the deep pain and loss of this world. We can't simply remove something when we are wondering you know, if we've been forgotten or if God's plans have been canceled or just derailed by others. See, our passage invites us as we see at the, at the kind of the conclusion that Joseph's dream, the dream that God had given to him is shattered and that we're invited even with Jacob to mourn his mourning is carried on in the book of Lamentations when people go into exile where it says that there is bitter weeping. There will be no comfort because my children are no more. This morning asks this question, where is the maker of the promise? 
Do we deal with a God who so easily abandons his promise or has it be overturned? And I want us to close with a couple observations to think about God's story. And the first thing about God's story is it invites you and me to acknowledge with honesty our loss or our fear or our experiences. That all of us here are marked in some ways by grief, if not that of death, but that of empty futures or things that have failed, deep hurt or rejection, dreams that we held deeply but have not happened And God invites us to acknowledge such things. But the story of God is not that we have to hide them. The story of God is to acknowledge them. But the second thing is that then we can affirm that there's something else besides us. We can affirm that there are other powers at work besides the powers around us. Interestingly, God's name is not mentioned in our passage. But it does not mean that he's absent. How often is that the case in our lives God is present even if we don't feel it or don't see it. The story of God affirms that even when he's not mentioned, that he is active. He is the one that gave Joseph the dream. And amazingly, even as Joseph sets out for Egypt as a slave, God has not abandoned him. He is not free, but he is not dead. And this unfree one needs not give up on the dream or the promise. Over the next 13 chapters of Genesis, we see in the strange way God uses this terrible situation to work his purposes in Joseph's life, in the life of his whole family, and even in the families of the world. God uses what's meant for evil for good. In Egypt, God protects Joseph and through him feeds people who are facing a famine. God's story continues even in the face of hate. And I want us to think about this is somehow fundamental to how God is at work, inviting all of us to think about where we are in our life right now. God, when he first made the promise, he made it to Abraham and Sarah, who were barren and elderly, saying that you will have a child. And through that child, you'll have a great nation, as many descendants as the stars in the sky. But God, in that challenge, brings forth a son. Here we see something similar. God makes a promise that there will be a family that will be formed and be a blessing to the world. And now we see that that family is marked by favoritism and hate and dysfunction. But God says that even through that, in the midst of it, through them, I will bring forth my promise and make a people who will bless the nations. Yes, the mourning is real. Jacob's mourning is deep and it is real, and it is long. The loss is real, and we have to acknowledge the comfort in his case is very slow. Jacob goes for years being deceived by his sons and not aware that his other son Joseph is alive. And Joseph wonders for years if he's been forgotten. He yearns to be found. He longs to be viewed differently. It takes years and there's twists and turns, but by the end of the story, faith and hope are vindicated. But I want us to know and acknowledge as with God's story that we can affirm that it is long and hard. But we can also affirm that there is a power at work beyond us and those who view us a certain way. God gives Joseph dreams at the outset of this long journey. And I think to myself that Joseph must have returned to those dreams over and over again. 
trusting again that God would bring about what he had promised. And so what about us? What can we hold on to this day? For if we drop a grudge or want others to drop a grudge, we have to have something else to hold, right? We have to have something to hold. And what I suggest that as we gather here today, what we're invited to hold on to is the one that Joseph points towards. Joseph pointed towards Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the firstborn of all creation, the beloved son of the Father, the one who set aside his royal robe, left behind his glory to take on flesh and dwell among us, to expose himself to a world that hated him. The world rejected him, scorned him, slandered him, abused him, and violently killed him, seeking to remove the dream, to remove the beloved one. And we have to ask how painful it must have been for Jesus to not be listened to, to be mocked and laughed, betrayed. But he, in patient suffering, entrusted himself to his Father in the vindication of God. God used Joseph's suffering. God used Joseph's suffering to bring forth relief and life to the nations. How much more is God using Jesus in his humiliation and death and resurrection to save us? He came to transform sinners, you and me, into brothers and sisters. He came to those who were far off to make us his family. He came to those who had forgotten him that we might be restored into the family of God. This is the dream that is true, and it's the dream that has power to continue in the face of all sorts of hate and brokenness. And you are invited, you and me today, to hold that, to remember it, even in the midst of the circumstances of our life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for how it speaks very clearly into our experiences, but also offers us hope for something more. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
God, you proclaim from the throne, behold, I am making all things new. These words are trustworthy and true, and it is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word for his people, we're come to the table that God sets uh, for them. Behold, I am making all things new. This is the promise of the risen Christ. This table is a witness uh, to that promise. Uh, it's a witness, we could even say, to the, uh, to the dream. A dream that is not something that's just you know, made up, but a dream of how things would be different. For at this table, we see uh, the possibility, right, of of those who are far off, those who maybe have been forgotten or mistreated, those who are sinners being restored, being told that they're seen and loved, they are welcomed at God's family meal. We see the dream in the sense that we gather together. It's a table in which we come together, not in different ranks or orders at ones above the other, but all collectively welcomed in the grace of God together. 
It's a table that invites us to share our lives and resources with one another and to view our neighbors as those to love, not to hate. This table is a proclamation of what God's doing and promises to do in the world. And we're invited to come in Christ. Our place at the table from beginning to end is not what we have done or will do, but God's grace to us in Christ. If you know that, if you've placed your faith in Christ, professed him as your Savior, then come and eat and drink. Be nourished by God. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be an invitation to you, invitation to a different way, to a dream about how the world is and can be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet us here, that by your spirit you would feed us spiritually, that you would strengthen us, Lord, that you would lift up our heads so that we may be know what it is to be forgiven and to be received and to be loved, that we can walk in new ways as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. Uh, I ask if you're able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, we're, we're glad that you're here and invite, invite you just to come forward as well. Put your arm across your chest and I'll happy to offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now and let us come and receive the gifts that God has for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can sing and pray as God's people. Lord Jesus, you have said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Therefore, stay with us. Keep us by your faithfulness and kindle great hope in our hearts as we proclaim the mystery of faith. together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue uh, worship through a time of, of giving, of offering. So I invite the greeters to come forward. There'll be a gray basket. You can put your communion cup in and then a silver uh, tray if you'd like to give a gift. Uh, you can also give offering through the church's website. You'll see a note in your order if you'd like uh, to do that as well, to respond to God's generosity in that manner. But welcome, especially if you are uh, joining us for the first time or just started coming recently. Glad that you're here. Um, just as a reminder that there is a time of coffee and hospitality after the service, coffee and bagels right out the doors behind you. Um, there is a Girls on the Run event going on at Waters, and so I think there'll be other people around, but it's a good chance to meet some neighbors as well. Um, uh, there's also a blue, I mean, sorry, a black information pad under the uh, chair in the center aisle. If you're sitting in the center aisle, uh, you know, I encourage you to reach down and grab that uh, black pad, and you can fill it out, um, pass it down so you can know who you're worshiping with. And if you're uh, visiting, we'd love to have a chance to follow up with you and tell you more about the church. Uh, one other thing just to, to remind you, I mentioned this in the beginning, but if you look at the announcement pages in the very back, uh, there is information about the fall day of service, and this is providing Thanksgiving meals to families here at Waters. And so um, there, are there are boxes in the back. Uh, I encourage you, to, if you can grab a box, uh, you can do that uh, on your own, or if you want a few other people to do it together. Stop by back there. Gina will be there to give you the information, but you just have to grab a tag, a box, and sign it out, and those are due back next Sunday. If you can't do it by next Sunday, you can drop it off in the office uh, during the week next week. Uh, not next week, the week after, <laughs> the week of the, of the 13th. So if you have questions, let me know, or you can stop by the table um, and talk to Gina as well. Let's continue giving our gifts and offering to God.
please stand and join us for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
Receive God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. May go in peace.